Pushkin. Where do you see your career in 10 years? What are you doing now to help you get there? The sooner you start enhancing your skills, the sooner you'll be ready. That's why AARP has reskilling courses in a variety of categories like marketing and management to help your income live as long as you do. That's right. AARP has a bevy of free skill-building courses for you to choose from because the steps you choose to take today will help you love what you do in the future. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org skills. Before Shopify, were you wondering, where my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha-ching. <clears throat> oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof. Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Shopify.com slash listen. Hey, it's Jacob. If you enjoyed our episode on the big question, will AI kill creativity, then I recommend If Then, the new podcast from Stanford Graduate School of Business. Humanity faces urgent issues, and business has a critical role to play. If we want to solve some of the world's most complex issues, we need to hear from experts engaged in cutting-edge research on topics like AI, the link between immigration and innovation, and power dynamics at work, which is where If Then comes in. If Then centers in-depth conversations with Stanford GSB professors about the innovations and insights they're most excited about and why they matter to us and our lives, our work, and our future, all framed around an if-then statement that captures the guests' incisive, sometimes surprising takeaways. Like their recent episode, if we want to get people back to the office, then we need to find the right reasons to do it. So check out If Then wherever you get your podcasts. And tell them I sent you. Hey, it's Jacob. As you may recall, I interviewed Sam Bankman-Fried on this show back in 2022. Sam was a crypto mega billionaire when I interviewed him. Uh, Several months later, his company blew up and he was indicted on fraud charges. Right now, Sam is on trial in federal court in New York City. Michael Lewis, who hosts another podcast here at Pushkin, just wrote a book about Sam Bankman-Fried. And his podcast is covering the trial really closely. On Tuesday of this week, I sat in as a guest host for Michael Lewis, and I interviewed Lydia Jean Cott, who has been covering the trial for Pushkin. I found the conversation really interesting, and it brought back some of the key themes I talked about with Sam Bankman-Fried when he came on this show. So for this week's episode of What's Your Problem, we are bringing you my conversation with Lydia Jean Cott uh, about the trial of Sam Bankman-Fried. I hope you like it. So I am delighted to be here today. It's week two of the Sam Bankman-Fried trial, and today was a very big day. Caroline Ellison, who, of course, was the co-CEO of Alameda Research and SBF's former girlfriend, she took the stand today. And Lydia Jean, you, of course, were there. Yes, I came to the courthouse bright and early, and it was a day that reporters were particularly excited for. There were a lot of us. And I interviewed a few as we were waiting for the court doors to open. And I'm going to play some of that tape for you right now. I'm Sam Kessler. I'm an editor at Coindesk. 
What are you looking forward to learning from Caroline Ellison's testimony? Aside from the testimony itself, it's going to be really interesting to see the line of questioning that particularly the defense decides to follow. And they're also going to maybe touch on things around drug use and whether that makes her an unreliable narrator. All that is going to be really fascinating to, to see. I'm Liz Lopato. I'm a senior reporter at The Verge. I am super curious about why she did this. Like, I don't know that she's going to talk about that, but she didn't have equity, and the boys did. And I've had some, like, lousy ex-boyfriends in my time, but nothing on the scale. What's your name? I'm Kevin Dugan with New York Magazine. The sex. (laughs) I want all the details. I want all the stories all the spine-tingling kind of sensation of all the sex that happened in the Bahamas. Yeah, that's really what I'm looking forward to most. Lady Jean, I don't want the details of the sex. <laughs> well, good news for you. There wasn't a lot of sex, and there was a lot of spreadsheets. <laughs> um, what happened? I mean, this is like truly a high-drama moment, right? Like, you have this romantic history, you have this executive history, and you have this alleged crime. So, like, what's the, like, Caroline walking into the courtroom moment? Yeah, so the courtroom was packed, and the prosecutor said that they were going to call their next witness, Caroline Allison. You could tell the reporters were all really excited. You know, usually when there's an intermission, people start to talk, but no one was talking. Everyone was looking at the door. Someone whispered that it was a bit like a weird wedding since we were waiting uh-huh. for her to walk down the aisle. Oh, uh-huh, very good. Someone went like, dun, dun, dun. And then the door opened, and she walked through. She was wearing like a reddish, pinkish dress. She had on a blazer. She's really small. She's even shorter than I am. She was holding a water bottle, and she walked really confidently down the aisle as everyone was watching to the witness stand. And then she sat down. The prosecutor immediately had her admit that she had committed financial crimes, and she said that she had committed them with Sam. And just to be clear, she's already previously pleaded guilty to to these crimes, right? Exactly. She has. And then the prosecutor had her point out Sam. She was sitting down and then she kind of stood up and she looked all over the courtroom for him. She was looking in the jury box. She was looking in the, where the reporters were sitting. It was a full 30 seconds and it was the longest 30 seconds ever. And then finally she found him and she pointed at him when she finally saw him. And I couldn't see his face, but people in the overflow room said that they kind of smiled at each other. And then the prosecutor said, can you say what Sam was wearing? And she said he was wearing a suit. And she laughed a little bit and sat down. So I have a couple questions about that. One, like, wasn't he just sitting at the defense table or whatever? Like, was she putting on a show? Did she actually not know where he was? What was going on there? I don't think she was putting on a show. I think... It must be really overwhelming. It was probably her first time in this courtroom. It was really packed. There are a lot of people there. I'm assuming that that walk down the aisle when we were all staring at her was pretty terrifying. And I'm thinking it probably took her a few seconds to orient herself. People have also speculated that she hasn't seen him since he got his hair cut. And she's never seen him in a suit. Okay. I have another question about that. Why do prosecutors do this. I mean, I've seen it in like the movies or whatever, you know, is he in the courtroom with us? Can you point him out? But like Sam Megan Fried was like, there were pictures of him on TV and in magazines. Like we all know who he is and what he looks like. Is there some legal reason they do it? Is it theater? I don't know. There's a lot of pointing in court. Also, I learned that in <laughs> opening statements, it's really common to point at the defendant. 
Okay, so she's there. She's identified Sam Bankman-Fried. We got our drama. Like, are there a few key moments, whether they are emotional moments or kind of substantive moments in terms of, you know, the, the case itself that stand out to you of what happened today? Like, what are the most important things that happened? Yeah, well, the prosecution started pretty early by having Caroline talk about her romantic relationship with Sam and to uh-huh. characterize a little bit what it was like. And she said that, and I'm quoting from my notes, that there is a general theme where I would want more, but he was being distant and not paying attention. So she kind of characterized their on and off again romantic relationship as one where Sam kind of had an upper hand. She also said that Sam was her boss and that at times made things awkward. And what do you think is going on there? I mean, I kind of get it, but like, what's the point of that part of it? Well, there's something that lawyers do called taking the sting out, where they bring up things that they think the defense is going to bring out on cross, and they say it during direct. So that way, it kind of makes it seem less bad, because I'm sure that on cross, the defense is going to say something like, you dated Sam, and it didn't go that Uh well. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So the prosecution is just preempting the, you're just the bitter ex-girlfriend kind of defense. And they're also setting something else up, I think, where they talked about Sam and Caroline's professional relationship. And they talked about how in that relationship, Sam also had the upper hand. Caroline talked about how her job at Alameda was really the second job she's ever had. Before that, she worked at Jane Street with Sam. And she felt really insecure and not prepared for that job. And she checked in with Sam about all of the important decisions that she made. And they made it sound like he was very involved and he was overseeing what was happening at Alameda. So any crimes that were happening at Alameda, by extension, Sam would also know about. Uh And sign off on. They really emphasized that he was signed off on everything that Caroline did. That makes sense. Because, I mean, clearly very bad things happened with FTX and Alameda. And the key question is, did Sam do them? Everybody else has admitted to doing them. Did Sam do them? And the prosecution is trying to prove that, yes, he did. Okay, so they got their both their personal and their professional relationship. What else? She also gave us some interesting insight into Sam as a person. They asked her about what his goals were for himself, for FTX. And she said that he was very ambitious. And that actually he told her one time that there was a 5% chance that he believed that he might be president one day. (laughs) Um. (laughs) You know, I'll say when I interviewed him, like the hubris was striking, which I mean, I guess that's probably true for everybody. It's not like, oh, my insight, but it really is striking. It was when I, when I interviewed him is when he talked about helping trillions of people, not just the billions of people who are alive today, but he said the trillions or even hundreds of trillions who might someday live. But then it was like, look, there are people who have had a huge impact on the world. Why shouldn't it be me? And like, similarly, like rich people get to be president. Like he was super rich. Maybe it could have been Yeah, Yeah, I talked to some reporters who were like, there was a time where it wasn't that crazy to think that there was a 5% chance that he would become president. The prosecutors also asked her about Sam's approach to risk. Uh And she said something that I found really interesting, which is, imagine if you flipped a coin and if the coin landed on tails, the world would be destroyed. And if the coin landed on heads, the world would be twice as good as it is now. Sam would believe in flipping the coin. You know, it's funny you should mention that because, again, before he got indicted, he was on this podcast that I like called Conversations with Tyler, with this kind of economist, public intellectual Tyler Cowen. And there was a similar thing in that interview where 
Tyler Cowen said, said if there was a 51, 49% chance of, of a similar thing, either the universe is twice as good or the universe gets destroyed, do you take the bet? And Sam said, every time. And Tyler Cowen was like, yeah, but if you keep taking it every time, you're clearly going to end with a destroyed universe. And, and Sam was like, or a really awesome universe. And I was like, what? And then when everything blew up, that was what I thought back to. There was another interview where this other smart person, Matt Levine, sort of gets Sam to say that what he was doing was kind of a Ponzi scheme, was basically a Ponzi scheme. But to me, the more Sam thing was that I'll keep taking the bet. And it seems like that is a sort of perfect metaphor for what he did, or at least a very good metaphor for what he seems to have done. Yeah, I underlined in my notebook, like, this is the crux of the story, is he flipped a coin and it landed the wrong way. For a while, it landed the right way, right? That's how you get to be worth many tens of billion dollars when you're not 30. I would never flip that coin. I would not only not flip that coin, I would leave the room, I would leave the house. (laughs) That's why we're making podcasts. (laughs) Low risk, low return. Um, Presumably, the prosecutors called Caroline Ellison because you know, they're trying to convict Sam of, of a bunch of crimes. So, so you know, what was sort of the crime part of her testimony? Yes. Okay. So remember that the crime that Sam is accused of is using money that FTX customers thought that they had safely deposited onto the FTX cryptocurrency exchange and instead investing it through his investment firm, Alameda. Caroline is the head of Alameda. And she said that when Alameda used FTX customer funds, it was at Sam's direction. Aha. So like, that's the core. That's it. Like, that's the thing. That's the thing. Yeah. That's like a good portrait of of the day. One of the things I've been interested in listening to the other episodes, the episodes you did with, with Michael and with Jacob Weisberg was, what's the jury doing? Who was asleep today? I find it striking that jurors are asleep. Like, were there jurors asleep today? How many? Was it the same? Was it the juror who works the overnight shift? I think the jurors, just like the journalists, were actually really interested in what Caroline had to say. And she also sounded, I had heard her on in interviews before, and she sounded much more confident. I think her voice was deeper, so I wondered whether she got some voice coaching. And I wonder if that was part of why she was able to keep the jurors' attention. It was honestly a very technical testimony. They showed a lot of spreadsheets and balance sheets. And I was surprised. I kept looking over at the jury, but I personally did not witness a single sleeping jury today. That is a real testament to how compelling Caroline Ellison must have been. So how did the day end? What, What? Where did you get to in the trial today? The prosecution didn't finish asking Caroline questions, so they're going to continue with that. And then I think we're all really interested to see what's going to come out on cross-examination. I'm very curious to hear what what comes out in cross-examination. We'll be back in a minute with one last thing. You probably think it's too soon to join AARP, right? Well, let's take a minute to talk about it. Where do you see yourself in 15 years? More specifically, your career, your health, your social life? What are you doing now to help you get there? There are tons of ways for you to start preparing today for your future with AARP. That dream job you've dreamt about? Sign up for AARP reskilling courses to help make it a reality. How about that active lifestyle you've only spoken about from the couch? 
AARP has health tips and wellness tools to keep you moving for years to come. But none of these experiences are without making friends along the way. Connect with your community through AARP volunteer events. So it's safe to say it's never too soon to join AARP. They're here to help your money, health, and happiness live as long as you do. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org wisefriend. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hey, it's Jacob. If you enjoyed our episode on the big question, will AI kill creativity, then I recommend If Then, the new podcast from Stanford Graduate School of Business. Humanity faces urgent issues, and business has a critical role to play. If we want to solve some of the world's most complex issues, we need to hear from experts engaged in cutting-edge research on topics like AI, the link between immigration and innovation, and power dynamics at work, which is where If Then comes in. If Then centers in-depth conversations with Stanford GSB professors about the innovations and insights they're most excited about and why they matter to us and our lives, our work, and our future, all framed around an if-then statement that captures the guest's incisive, sometimes surprising takeaways. Like their recent episode, if we want to get people back to the office, then we need to find the right reasons to do it. So check out If Then wherever you get your podcasts. And tell them I sent you. Lydia Jean, we're back. Can you please give me one last thing? Our one last thing today is about Gary Wong's testimony. Okay. You and Michael talked about Gary Wong. He's the guy who doesn't talk, right? It's there's one thing to remember. He's co-founder, but mainly he's the really quiet guy. And then when he when he talked, apparently he said on the show he talked really fast. It's kind of interesting. Yes, the Try guy to get who, it over with. Once he took the stand, did actually talk. And today was cross-examination. Okay. And everyone was really impressed with how the defense lawyers did. Ah. I think up until now they seemed really nervous. I think I said earlier, one of their hands seemed to be shaking. And today, they moved very quickly. They hardly got interrupted by the prosecution. They seemed very confident. And they did kind of leave me feeling a little bit different about Gary's testimony than I did earlier. Interesting. So those are like the vibes, which is interesting. What was the substance of the of the cross-examination? So to me, one of the most interesting things in this trial is Sam tweeted shortly before FTX declared bankruptcy. FTX is fine. Assets are fine. And this has been pointed over and over again to an example of Sam lying. And on direct, Gary said this was a lie because FTX was not fine. Assets were not fine. Right. But the lawyers pointed out how Gary, in earlier conversations with the prosecution, did not characterize this as a lie because he said that depending on how you looked at it, FTX maybe was fine and assets were fine. It just depends whether you were talking about liquid or illiquid assets. Uh-huh. Which is, in fact, a classic 
hard problem in financial crises, right? Liquid assets basically means assets you can turn into cash right now. And illiquid assets means, yes, we have the money, whatever. I own a house, say, but I just can't sell it and turn it into money this minute. And so did he say on Cross that like maybe if you're considering illiquid assets, it would have been reasonable to think that that FTX was fine? He did seem to say that. He said that Sam's tweet was misleading since he was talking about illiquid assets. Uh-huh. But he admitted that in early conversations with prosecutors, he did not call this tweet a lie. And I found that cross-examination to be really compelling. Makes me only more interested to hear what happens when Carolyn Ellison undergoes cross-examination. Thanks for having me, Lydia Jean. Bye, Jacob. Talk to you soon. This episode of Judging Sam was hosted by Jacob Goldstein. Lydia Jean Cott is our court reporter. Catherine Girardot and Nisha Venkat produced this show. Sophie Crane is our editor. Our music was composed by Matthias Bossi and John Evans of Stellwagen Symphonette. Judging Sam is a production of Pushkin Industries. Got a question or comment for me? There's a website for that. atrpodcast.com That's atrpodcast.com To find more Pushkin Podcasts, listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you'd like to access bonus episodes and listen ad-free, don't forget to sign up for a Pushkin Plus subscription at pushkin.fm slash plus or on our Apple show page. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 2024 Santa Fe, available early 2024. Hackers and cyber criminals have always held this kind of special fascination. Obviously, I can't tell you too much about what I do. It's a game. Who's the best hacker? And I was like, well, this is child's play. I'm Dina Temple-Raston. And on the Click Here podcast, you'll meet them and the people trying to stop them. We're not afraid of the attack. We're afraid of the creativity and the intelligence of the human being behind it. Click here. Stories about the people making and breaking our digital world. AI machines. Satellite. Engine ignition. Click here. And lift off. Every Tuesday, wherever you get your podcasts.